Right, so I want to read to you uh, some of the best excuses given to police officers uh, when they pulled people over for speeding. Um, and these are all absolutely true. I read them on the internet. Um, so here are true excuses as reported by police officers that they thought were the best excuses given to them in their, their years on the forest. One lady said this. She says, oh, I thought the I-95 sign meant the speed limit. I'm glad you didn't catch me over on the SR-210 earlier. Uh, the second one is my personal favorite, and that is, I wasn't speeding. I just got a haircut, and it makes me look fast. Uh, this next one was a woman who was caught going 55 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone with six inches of snow on her windshield. She said the following, Duh, I know I was going fast. I was trying to get the snow off my windshield so I could see where I'm going. It's reasonable. This next guy is probably an engineer or something. I don't know. He says, I have, no, I'm sorry. This is before that one. I have a cold, and when I cough, my foot mashes the pedal. That's reasonable. That could happen to anybody. This one I have sympathy with, okay? Uh, I have to get to McDonald's before the breakfast menu ends, right? Anybody could, could be caught doing that one. All right, uh, this next one, maybe. Uh, I put too much oil in the engine, and so I have to drive really fast to burn the extra oil out. You know, that, that's reasonable. Uh, Okay, this next one uh, was a, an officer approaches and the woman is just bawling her eyes out as he walks up to her. Um, and the lady says, I went shopping for the first time after having my baby and nothing fit right. And the conclusion of this is the officer just hands her back her license and backed away slowly. Okay. Said nothing good was going to come from that. So, get out of there. All right, we've all made excuses before in our lives, right? We've all had excuses for why we couldn't do what we were supposed to do or why we didn't get something done that we were supposed to get done. And at the end of the day, uh, I don't really care about excuses that we might give for speeding tickets or other things in our lives, but I care greatly about the excuses that we give for why we can't fully follow Jesus, the excuses we make for why we can't be more invested, why we can't have more faith, why we can't do more in service for the kingdom, why we can't truly and fully make Jesus Lord of our lives. All right, in this next section of Matthew here in chapter 8, uh, Jesus heals three different people in three different stories, and I think with all three of these, he is shattering excuses and expectations for why some people would say they can't follow Jesus. Okay, why some people would say they have to stay on the outside and can't be on the inside of the kingdom of God. Three stories of Jesus healing people, and all three of them could have made excuses, and yet instead they make a conscious choice to show faith in God. Right, we as people are really good at making excuses. And yet the point of the sermon this morning is that there is absolutely no good excuse for why we can't fully put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, before we get into the specifics of our text, I think that sometimes when we come to the study of Scripture, uh, we spend too much time just studying individual pieces of it, and we kind of lose the big picture for what's going on. 
Um, and so I don't ever want us to do that. So here's kind of the, the meta view of what's going on in this section of Matthew. Uh, we just finished reading through chapters 5 and 7. We did a long sermon series on that on the Sermon on the Mount, right? And the point of the Sermon on the Mount is to show that Jesus is Lord in word. Okay, we talk about how he preached, and he didn't do it like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. How did Jesus preach? He preached as one who had authority. Okay, and that was a, a big point that we made last week. Right, and then the next section we're going to look at is chapters 8 and 9, the first of which is this week. We'll finish it up probably next week. Um, we show that Jesus is also Lord in deed. Okay? Uh, you've heard it's not bragging if you can do it. Jesus is showing in this section he could do it. Right? He is Lord. He's Lord of all creation. Right? Jesus is Lord in both word and deed. Now, uh, look at this first part of chapter 8 um, and how Jesus heals people, demonstrating his authority. And notice the excuse that could have been made to his lordship. This is chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, again, so we're assuming just right after the Sermon on the Mount, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Uh, all right, we have talked about leprosy before. Uh, that could have been any number of skin diseases in their world. They called a lot of different things just leprosy. Okay, and when you had leprosy, you couldn't live amongst everybody else. Uh, they were worried about the spread of leprosy, so they had different places set aside where leprous people could go and live away from everybody else. But if you did have to go out amongst normal people when you had leprosy, you had to wear a cloth over your face, and you had to call out, unclean, 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 everywhere you went. Okay, none of us have ever been that ostracized from everybody else. Okay? Um, it would have been a completely life-altering event for you if you got leprosy in the ancient world world. Okay, you as a healthy person would never touch someone with leprosy if there was any way you could possibly avoid it. Okay, but what does Jesus do in our story? Right? Very specifically, he reaches out his hand, touches him, and heals him. Now, as we'll read in the next story, could Jesus have healed this man from a distance? Right? With a word, could he have just said, uh, you stay over there and be healed? Absolutely, but he very specifically touches an untouchable, and Matthew, in telling us this story, specifically puts that detail in there so that we will see just how Jesus did it, right? Jesus was never afraid to offer a healing touch to the wounded. Okay, right, so uh, what's the first excuse that Jesus overcomes in this encounter? I think it's this. I can't fully surrender my life to Jesus' lordship because my woundedness keeps me away from Jesus. Okay, if you're taking notes, I've left you some spaces on the front of your bulletin. This is the first one to write down. Excuse number one that people often come up with, that we often come up with, is that my woundedness keeps me away from Jesus. Now, I'm fairly certain none of us have leprosy. Uh, I'm also equally certain that all of us are walking around with wounds. Is that fair? We all bring our baggage here with us. You know, in their world, untouchableness was often related to physical sickness. But I think in our world, it is much more likely to either be sin-related or driven by relationships or past experiences or any number of things that just happen to us in life. 
As we go, we live in a very broken world. We pick up wounds along the way. And often we will use that as an excuse for why we can't fully invest in Jesus. I think there are a lot of people uh, who are either barely in church or think that church is not for them because they can't approach God with all the wounds that they're carrying. And I think Jesus is showing in this story that nobody is so untouchable that they can't be with Jesus. Now, I think this story shows us several things that have to happen for Jesus to overcome that excuse. Okay, I didn't leave you blanks on this, but you might want to write these down as well. Uh, First thing that you have to do in order to overcome your woundedness is you have to believe that you can come back. Okay, in their culture, uh, this leper should not have approached a rabbi. That's not done. It's not the way it's supposed to work. The rabbi is clean and he is not, but he approaches Jesus. Why? Okay, because he has faith that Jesus can make him well. He has faith that he could be restored to God's people because of an encounter with Jesus. And he never should have approached Jesus, but he does because he is choosing faith over focusing on his wounds. You know, I'm thinking about a couple of different guys that I encountered whenever I was preaching in Texas. Uh, when I first started preaching at that church in Texas, I was at the grand old age of 24 years old. Okay? If you can imagine, I was younger than, than Titus is now, right? Um, but I'm the preacher at this church, and one of the things that some of the guys thought would be good for me to do is go talk to some of the people who hadn't been in church in years. And there's two guys in particular that I went and talked to. Both of them were older men in their late 50s. Uh, neither one of them had darkened the door of a church in years, but they're going to send the boy preacher out to go try to talk them to come back. Okay, and so I, I went and I'm, you know, very dutifully did what I was told to do. So I went and I talked to these couple older guys, uh, and both of them told me the, basically the same story. Okay? They both agreed that they should go to church. They both agreed uh, that Jesus is Lord of creation and they had all their theology straight, but both of them had been out of church for so long, they told me they appreciated what I was trying to do, but they couldn't envision coming back. Okay? They didn't believe they could come back. And as far as I know, neither one of them ever made it back to church. You know, in a similar way, I've counseled with people before who have a hard time believing that God could forgive some of the stuff that they've done in their lives. Or we've talked about that before, right? I've had several conversations with people where they say, yeah, I believe in grace. I believe that God came to take away the sins of the world. But preacher, you don't know what I've done. To who I want to say, okay, so you believe that God can come and take away the sins of the world, but your sins are too special for him to cleanse? No offense, but you're not that special. There's nothing that you have ever done in your life that can keep you from coming back, so we cannot let our woundedness keep us away from Jesus. Okay? Second part of this, not only do we have to believe that we can come back, we also have to admit that we can't fix ourselves. Uh, how many times have we heard people say, well, whenever I get this particular thing fixed in my life, then I'll come back to Jesus, right? Good luck with that. Okay, what do we learn from the leper, though? What does he do in the story? He kneels before Jesus. He very intentionally takes a posture of humility, and he puts his future in the hands of Jesus. Okay, your woundedness is not a barrier between you and Jesus if only we will believe that we can come back and admit that we can't fix ourselves. It is a choice of faith over a choice of focusing on our woundedness. Does that make sense? All right, notice the next story. This is starting in verse 5. It says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, 
I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Again, uh, there are several cultural things going on here that are pretty easy for us to miss. Um, A centurion is an officer in the Roman army. Uh, And so if you are a Jew, this guy represents everything that is wrong with the world. Um, It is beyond doubt if this centurion had gone to one of the Pharisees, one of the normal teachers of the law, and said, hey, I've got a servant who's wounded back home and I really want you to come and help him, that the Pharisee would have told this guy, look, you have this that you brought on yourself for being a pagan. Okay? Um, If you want help, you should go to your pagan gods, right? The God of Israel is not interested in you. You're part of the problem. So, for Jesus to just talk to this guy at all is a big deal. And then you think about the end of this story where Jesus says those people on the inside of the kingdom, a lot of them are going to get thrown out, and a lot of people on the outside, they're going to get to come in. Uh, That's the kind of thing you don't say. That's the kind of comment that Jesus himself will get killed for, right? It's this kind of stuff. Obviously, this rabbi from Galilee can't really be from God, or he would never talk like this. Okay, but what is Jesus doing? I think he's making, I think he's making a very important point and overcoming another excuse. All right, so what's the second excuse? second reason that people often say they cannot come to Jesus, they can't be part of his kingdom, it's this. My background keeps me away from Jesus. Uh, how many of you grew up in a household where if the church doors were open, you were in church? And from the time you could crawl, your parents were dragging you to church whether you wanted to go or not, right? Uh, and then I know, based on the hands that weren't raised, there's a whole bunch of you who weren't raised in a house like that, right? I know that I was incredibly blessed to have parents that raised me in church. Uh, they read me Bible stories every night, or actually, they kind of cheated on that. They had a cassette player where they would just press play, and then the cassette tape would read me a Bible story at night, and apparently that counts, I guess. I don't know. As I've become an adult, I realized some of the hacks they were using on me as a child, and that's fine. You know, but I had, a good, I had a good growing up experience. I had parents that modeled Christian maturity for me. And yet, what about the people who didn't get any of that? Right? What about people who were raised with no knowledge of Jesus? What about people who the whole concept of Christianity is foreign to them? I think to a lot of people, they feel like, since they're coming to the game so late, that this is not the game for them to play in. They feel like because of the background that they have, it keeps them away from Jesus. You know, I remember when I was in the fourth grade, I started playing Little League Baseball. Um, and I remember as I went into it, the coach asked on the very first practice that we had, he said, now how many of you played baseball in Little League in third grade? And every single kid on the team raised their hand except for me. And I felt like I was always behind. 
felt like I never was quite up to where everybody else was because I was coming in without the same knowledge, without the same background that they had. All right, two things that I want to say about this when we get out of the story. The first one is this, that it's everybody starts somewhere. Uh, how much time do you think that the centurion spent in synagogue learning Torah when he was growing up? Uh, how much scripture do you think that he could quote? Yeah, but what does he do? Okay, he chooses to come to Jesus. You know, I'm very glad that I was raised with all of the advantages that I had. I was, I'm glad that I was given the examples of love and faith and a good basis of scripture. And I want my kids to have those same advantages, right? But wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, all you have to know is that everybody starts somewhere. Um, in fact, one of the weird things is I've talked to a lot of people saying, hey, you should come to Bible class. You know, we have Bible class every Sunday morning here at 9.30, right? Well, 9.35 or so, right? We have Bible class every Sunday morning. And I've had a lot of people tell me, well, I don't know enough. Like, well, if you don't know enough, then that's exactly why you need to be in Bible class, right? No one's going to call on you, make you embarrassed. Hey, everybody starts somewhere. Okay, second thing we get out of this uh, is that all that really matters is faith. Okay, the entire point of this encounter is because is just because you start with the right background, just because you were born into the right family, is that a guarantee that you get to be part of the kingdom of God? No. This pagan Gentile, this part of the Roman military, gets to come in. Why? Because he chooses to have faith in the one who can heal. Okay, I can say that I believe in the authority of Scripture all day long. But unless I'm actively making Jesus the Lord of my life, right? You can have all the right knowledge, but unless you're actually following Jesus, you're not really a disciple. Okay, specifically in this text, we make a point to note that what is faith? It is recognizing the full authority of Jesus. Does that work? All right. Uh, your background is what it is, and you cannot change it. But you and I can decide today whether or not we will recognize the authority of Jesus as Lord. All right, last story. Starting in verse 14. It says, When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. Um, there's a joke I would put in right there, um, but I have to go home after this. So insert your own joke about the woman immediately getting up and waiting on the man who just healed after she's been sick in bed. All right. Next, moving right along. Next verse. <laughs> when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. All right, I think... Matthew structures chapter 8 of this text very specifically to show these three healings all in a row. He shows us first that Jesus brings a Jew who's been outside of the kingdom back in. Then he takes a Gentile who is never part of the people of God and brings him in. And then now in this last encounter before the general summary, he also is taking a woman and restoring her. I think that's intentional. I think overwhelmingly the theology of Matthew chapter 8 is showing us who is the ministry of Jesus for? Everybody. Or at the very least, uh, it's for everyone who is willing to put their faith in Jesus. Right? And maybe I'm going too far with this last story, but I think the third excuse that we often give for why we can't fully embrace Jesus as Lord 
uh, is this. And that is that who I am keeps me away from Jesus. Okay, or maybe at the very least, it keeps us from embracing a full kingdom life. Right? Who I am will limit what I can do for the kingdom. Okay, in other words, you might be able to overcome your woundedness. Uh, you might be able to take the time and overcome your background. But there are some things about me and some things about you that will never change. And all too often, we let those things keep us from truly putting all of our faith and all of our trust in Jesus. Okay, there's some things you're just born with. Okay, for example, uh, I think about myself as a preacher. Uh, I really wish that I had a voice more like James Earl Jones, right? I mean, imagine if you had James Earl Jones' voice, like, delivering your, like, that would be powerful, right? Uh, I will never have a voice like James Earl Jones, no matter how hard I try, okay? I wasn't born with it. It's not going to happen. I'd also help if I was quite a bit taller and had that kind of presence. You know, when I think about presence, if I could choose anyone to have the presence in the pulpit that they have, it would be someone like Billy Graham. If you've ever watched any of his old sermons, he had a presence when he was in the pulpit. It was commanding. It was powerful. And again, no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to be the commanding, powerful guy up here, right? Not who I am. Thanks, Tim. Now I hesitate to say the last thing on my list. Um, okay, I was thinking about who is the smartest person that I have ever met in real life? Um, and I'm thinking about one of my professors that I had at ACU, a guy named Dr. Hamilton, uh, who is just brilliant. Okay, just brilliant. He just knew everything. I don't know how else to put it. He's just got a brain that works like no one else's brain I've ever met. You could name a baseball player from like 80 years ago, and he could tell you all their stats. Um, he has most of the Bible memorized, fluently reads both Greek and Hebrews, read better than anybody else. And I'm thinking, man, if I had a brain as smart as that guy, how much better would I be? I don't need an amen on that. I'm just <laughs> throwing that one out there. So what I want, I want James Earl Jones' voice. Uh, I want uh, Billy Graham's presence. I want Mark Hamilton's brain. I think if I had all of those things, then I could preach, Right? Okay, and no matter what I do, I will never have any of that because I can't change the things I was born with. But should those things that I can't change keep me from fully serving God? All right, um, if you only pay attention to one thing I say this morning, let it be this. The first thing that overcomes our third excuse, and that is that who you are is irrelevant. Who Jesus is, is all that matters. Okay? All right, um, I mentioned earlier about the joke that I wanted to make about the woman getting up and serving Jesus after she'd been healed, that I said I'm smart enough not to make that joke, right? Um, but I think there's a theological point within that story that we do need to take seriously, all right? And here's the second piece of this, and that is that no matter who you are, you can serve. I think the reason that we are told that she got up and began to serve Jesus is because it is important for us to note that anybody can serve the Lord. Right? And part of what helps us get over our woundedness, part of what helps us get over our sickness, part of what helps us get over the things that inhibit us is when we become servants. Okay? The quickest way to get over your own self and your own woundedness and your own past and all the things that are broken within you is to learn how to love and serve other people. And that is the quickest road back to health and recovery. 
We need to remember it's not about who we are. It's not about what talents we have. It's not about whatever baggage we bring with us this morning. It's about us choosing to put faith in Jesus, which we can do no matter who we are or what we've been through. And then it's about us becoming people who recognize it's never been about us, and it's all about what we can do to serve others around us in the name of Jesus Christ. Fair enough? All right, we will continue looking at the healing ministry of Jesus and about who we can become as people following our God and our King as we get deeper into the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, But at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. This is a time in our service where we as a church long to be here for you and to be with you. We would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that is going on in your life. Uh, Before we sing that song, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.